Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This is a special episode on Dune. Yes, one of the more highly ep- highly anticipated movies of the last couple of years has finally come out. And to help us unlock the secrets in underneath the, the sands and the spice, uh, I have with me Johnny Sobchak. Johnny, welcome. Thank you, Jesse, for having me. I'm uh, if anyone knows me uh, from anywhere else, they they know that I'm excited to talk about this, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I've enjoyed the last couple times I've been on here. So, yeah, you you are kind of a Dune expert, which means you are kind of the the perfect person to explain the the mythology of Dune and to help provide some context for people who maybe just watched the movie or are going to check it out either in theaters or on HBO Max. Um, please check it out in theaters as someone who saw it in theaters a couple days ago. I can't imagine watching it on like my iPad or something. But um, as someone who is a fan of this this series and and this mythology i am i'm someone who is not that so this is going to be an interesting conversation i have much less knowledge about this world than you do but can you kind of give listeners sort of an overview of what dune is about and maybe the importance or or significance of the the novel that it is based off of yeah dune is a lot of people call it it's been referred to as the lord of the rings of science fiction because it is so instrumental and fundamental to the genre especially in book form in the novels but it's also inspired a lot of films as well star wars being first and foremost uh george lucas certainly uh, aped a lot from frank herbert's book um whether they would want to admit it or not uh there's a funny quote back from i think it was probably like the 70s um where Frank Herbert talks about suing George Lucas <laughs> and having a list of things that he he could use in a lawsuit, but um, that never ended up happening. And of course, Star Wars became the you know the pop culture phenomenon that it is today. But Dune is finally kind of getting its uh, its due, and it is a big. It's a space opera in the same vein as Star Wars, but it is much more uh, based in philosophy and religion and po- you know political um themes it's really more about the ideas than it is about um action or adventure uh, necessarily and it is a um a warning against a lot of things it's really supposed to be uh in a subversive take on the chosen one um trope and the uh white savior trope um it, it's that i think is the most interesting that interesting thing and why it is such an important story and and while other movies and other books have taken inspiration from it whether it's having a galactic empire with an emperor like in star wars um and different things of that nature and you know the voice uh, which is pretty much jedi mind you know control and things like that this is uh, a story that on the surface seems very familiar and seems like kind of like oh cliche but, you know, throughout this this movie that we're going to talk about here in a second, you do get hints and, and ideas of other things going on. And that's something that, uh, you know, hopefully with part two and maybe a third film down the line, people will see and expand. And um, if we do get these movies, which at least part two seems to be a pretty sure thing, I would say at this point, 
that's going to be super interesting to see what audiences, general audiences think about that. Millions of people who are not familiar with Dune, have never seen Dune, read it, um, are going to are going to think about it. So, uh, but yeah, Paul Atreides, his family, very similar to Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones took a lot of inspiration from us. Uh, they are a house, a great house in this empire. Um, they have, uh, you know, an enemy house, the Harkonnens, um, and uh, led by the Baron and Arrakis is, you know, you mentioned spice. This is the most valuable resource in the entire universe. Uh, it's only found on the planet Arrakis. And uh, at the start of the story, the Harkonnens, they have to give it up to the, their mortal enemy. Uh, they have to give up control of Arrakis and the Atreides move in. Um, and Paul, who's just in the book, 15 years old. Um, and that is where things kind of kick off. And, and we see what happens once they, they get to the planet. Yeah, I think Game of Thrones in space is kind of the the, I know that's not like, a full summation of everything that happens in it, but that's kind of been the kind of like uh, elevator pitch that I've sort of been giving to to people, um, in particular like texting friends of mine who like really miss Game of Thrones, and I'll be like, I don't. There's kind of a version of that in space that you can now go see at the movies now. Um, this is a book that has had like a very very complicated road to. The movies, um, I mean, in the early 70s, Alejandro Yurdorowski, the like very psychedelic Mexican filmmaker, tried to helm an adaptation of it. Um, there's a pretty cool documentary. I, I assume you've seen it from like a few years back that kind of like is Yurdorowski sort of detailing what his vision for Dune would have been, which sounds both crazy and fantastical, but also like I highly doubt they would have been able to like even do half of the stuff that he like wanted to do in that. Cause this is like years, even before star Wars. Um, and then Ridley Scott flirts with it for a little bit, but decides to do blade runner instead. Eventually David Lynch, one of my favorite filmmakers adapts the book in the eighties, even as a diehard David Lynch fan. I, I, the Lynch version has its defenders and has like accumulated a cult following, but I, uh, it's 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 pretty bad and i think even lynch himself would would be first to say it it's pretty bad um we'll maybe kind of like compare that to this version a little bit because i think the way they approach the book is 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 very polar opposite but that movie is sort of this giant flop and um this like notorious production disaster um then i believe there's like a mini series adaptation from the early 2000s right Yes, there was a sci-fi channel uh, miniseries that took place. It, it covered the first book and uh, all of Dune, and then these two uh, second and third book as well, uh, Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. So that's like its own little trilogy as far as the novels go. Um, as I mentioned, Denny you know, wants to do something similar. He split the first book into two parts, so that's two movies right there. And then he says that he would want to conclude a potential trilogy with Dune Messiah, which is the second book. Um, and then there's also, you know, you mentioned the, the other film adaptations or attempts. There was very close to being um, a Peter Berg version in the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s, um, which I am just so grateful never happened because I think I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, Mark Wahlberg as Leto. Pass. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's concept art on the internet there's a uh, potential casting decisions i can't remember 
Robert Pattinson as Paul would have been okay. pretty good, I think. Maybe yeah, not not bad choice, but like I I yeah different from Chalamet, but also like an exciting choice. At yeah, like a period of time. Exactly. So yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Peter Berg is certainly um not a filmmaker that I admire, especially. So that is something I'm just glad got the rights fell through, and it was just kind of like a last minute thing, similar to even you know, Jodorowsky or, or what happened with Ridley Scott. So yeah, um, it's been a long time coming. And, you know, as soon as they got the rights to this legendary, um, I think it was just weeks or months later, they they found out. Denise said while promoting, I believe it was Blade Runner 24-9 or maybe even Arrival, um, it, they asked him, if you could direct anything, what would you do? And he said, Dune would be my my dream, like project, my number one um, thing. So as soon as they heard that, Mary Parent over at Legendary got him into a meeting and that he said it was the fastest meeting in history. So we want to make this movie with you. He was like, I want to make this movie for you. And that, that was it. And then here we are. Yeah. So you've touched on it already. This is being brought to the screen now by Denis Villeneuve, um, Canadian filmmaker who you, you wrote a piece um, a little over a year ago that I remember reading that kind of charted kind of his, he, he's sort of had this unique kind of like leveling up in the industry with each film. Um, I mean, he's obviously done work in Canada and had a movie in Cindy's, which I have not seen that was nominated for a foreign language film Oscar. And then kind of follows that up with um, enemy, which is like kind of a, a cool, weird indie movie, but with like a big star in Jake Gyllenhaal then does prisoners, which is a like mid-level crime movie with Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman then Sicario, which I've argued in the last few years is much more of like a war movie. Um, and then going into like original science fiction with Arrival and then taking on this hotly anticipated sequel to like a very iconic sci-fi movie with Blade Runner, which is an even bigger scale. And now this feels like the even higher leveling up. Um, I'm I'm not as diehard of a like Villeneuve fan as you are, but I, I've certainly like admire he has had quite the ascension in the last decade. Um, what 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 is it about him as a filmmaker that really kind of like? I I know he is like the 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 per he to you what is someone like Paul Thomas Anderson is to me of like the sun rises and sets with him essentially. Right, and I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there will be blood and and Phantom Thread are two of my favorite films of all time. But Villeneuve scratches. I don't know how to describe it. It's like that intangible thing. I think. With him in particular, no one that I've ever seen does atmosphere like Villeneuve does to me. I think he just, it's like, it's like this, like viscous, like liquid that just kind of like just covers you. And, and it, between the sound design in his films, the, the, you know, the music that he, he uses, the scores. Um, and then of course the visuals, which kind of go without saying at this point, um, yeah, he just I, I think he just has everything that I look for. And of course, none of that sacrifices the drama or, you know, the acting quality and, and the things that you look for, um, whether, you know, I think the things that he did in on Sandi or, or Enemy and Prisoners is just as dramatically impressive or, or as, um, you know, interesting as Arrival or Blade Runner 2049, you know, budgets and, and you know, genre films um, that are much bigger than than those. So. But it really was, it was around the time I went to see Arrival and I knew, I think I knew that it was Villeneuve because I had previously seen at home after they had been in theaters or released 
uh, enemy prisoners and Sicario. And I was, and I realized, wow, this is the same guy. Like, that's really impressive. I need to like pay attention to this. Um, and I knew Arrival was coming out. I remember distinctly not wanting to watch any trailers, <laughs> and which is probably the best thing you could do with a movie like that because it is very much like a trippy, you know, plot, you know, wraparound kind of movie. So, and I just remember like being totally blown away. Like one of the easiest five out of fives I've probably ever been able to give. And I do need to say I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Like that's my number one genre. So another reason that I'm a big fan of his because Arrival again was the first one I saw in theaters and, and really got my attention and then i knew he was doing a blade runner sequel <laughs> and i was i was so excited for that movie and i had never even seen blade runner i just knew it was a big movie a big sci-fi movie that people talked about a lot and said was a classic so the reason i saw blade runner for the first time was because i went out and bought the blu-ray of the final cut knowing that he was making the sequel and of course that made me a lot more excited and then of course uh blade runner 2049 probably my favorite movie of all time um i saw it six times in theaters i've probably seen it another you know 10 times since so yeah that's a he, he's just a very interesting and as you mentioned his ascent that piece that i wrote i said that he it was a you know, director of the decade piece that i wrote over inside the film room um and, I, and really just where he went from in 2010 with on sandy to blade runner 2049 seven years later you know most directors they take two three usually years or more between movies and he had Sicario arrival in 2049 come out in three years like that that does not happen very often um and I, I just think it's been very very impressive and, and interesting and, and inspiring to just watch where he's gone um and I can't wait to see you know he's he's fairly young as well I mean I think he's in his early 50s or something so uh he has a long time left in Hollywood and it, you mentioned prisoners and I talked about Mark Wahlberg earlier um I don't know if you know this but that was another film that was supposed to be not directed by by Peter Berg, but by Brian Singer, actually. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was supposed to play Hugh Jackman's role and Christian Bale was supposed to play Detective Loki, Jake Gyllenhaal's role. And that ended up falling through. And then they Hollywood was like, oh, let's go chase after this Villeneuve guy. And he just worked with Gyllenhaal. We might have Gyllenhaal in this movie. Um, and then it was on that set where they the producers at Alcon uh, mentioned that they were going to get the rights to Blade Runner. And they were like, would you want to direct Blade Runner? Uh, and so, yeah, it's just... It's funny how all these things uh, piece together, um, but Dune is definitely a culmination in that respect. Yeah, well, let's get into the movie itself. Uh, probably f important to mention right off the bat that this isn't Dune. It's Dune Part 1, and uh, so this is really only, I, I guess, I mean, you've read the book, so I, I take it that it's basically the first half of the book, essentially. Yeah, roughly. It, it's It's hard to say. It's closer maybe to like... 60% of the book maybe okay, um, okay. but there's so much you can already tell there's gonna be a lot of expansion in the second half um, Frank Herbert is an author as a writer for anyone who hasn't read the book he's quite sparse in detail believe it or not um, and that is you know describing outfits and vehicles and, and buildings that leaves a lot of room for interpretation that's why I think if you look at you know, what Jodorowsky was doing, certainly different from what Villeneuve has ended up doing. Um, and so that that is very interesting to think about. And also, as far as what you can kind of extrapolate from some of his scenes, um, you know, he says there's this huge battle, but you don't see any of it. You don't really know the details. You just know that it happened or it's over and that, that this is the result of it. So um, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to to talking about that what that those differences are as the book reader here. Yeah, I think it's I I mentioned it being sort of like a very polar opposite compared to the the Lynch version from the 80s. Um and maybe this is a time for us to kind of like dive into the movie a little bit. I I kind of had a thought afterwards that it's a little bit of a pick your own poison in the sense that as you kind of described, this is a book, it's a very, very long book with a very dense mythology to it. And the approach that the Lynch version takes, which I, I it seems to David Lynch's credit, he wasn't fully into this approach either, but um, was basically like, let's cram all of it into two hours, essentially. And I caught up with that movie. Again, I hadn't seen it since high school. I rewatched it a few weeks ago. Pretty incomprehensible. It's got like some cool visuals in it, um, but it it is like I found it almost impossible to follow because it is the pace of it is so breakneck and it's trying to fit in so many characters and so much mythology and all this different stuff. And David Lynch movies can be confusing, but it's not the sort of fun abstract way. It's just sort of like this is moving so fast and I don't understand any of these people or their relationships to each other and that stuff. And so it's interesting that Villeneuve's approach is sort of like well, let's split the book in half. That way we can sort of like take our time getting into the story. And I wouldn't say the pace of the movie is slow by any means, but it it allows, I think, for a much more approachable pace for a mainstream audience to kind of get into this world. But then maybe, you know, everything has its consequences and the unintentional consequence, at least for someone like me, is... And, and I should say I mostly like really had a lot of fun with this movie, but maybe like the one thing that is sort of like an, a, a, a consequence of it is you can feel it holding back a little bit. And a lot of those like really interesting ideas that you mentioned, you can tell it's sort of flirting with, but like, Ooh, but you're going to have to wait until a sequel to really dive into some of them. And I, I, I can understand some of the audience, some of the if any audiences come out feeling maybe a little bit anticlimactic because it is just sort of like an abrupt ending to a story that's not even compared to something like lord of the rings which each of those books have their own kind of endings um i don't know it's just sort of interesting to me i i definitely prefer this so much more to the david lynch version but it's interesting of like this is a very hard book to adapt and sort of like this is all right, let's try a different approach, but then that sets up a whole other host of kind of narrative um, consequences and stuff. But as, as a fan of the book, like wh- why don't you go on for a little bit about like what, what your thoughts were about this, this first adaptation. Right. And as you mentioned, you know, Lynch, I mean, cram that all into, and that's not an especially long movie. Like it's, no, I think it's like two hours. So <laughs> You're talking about like, you know, nigh a thousand pages, um, you know, condensed into that. Uh, And when I say I mentioned that Frank Herbert doesn't go into a lot of description, he kind of leaves room for interpretation with designs and things like that. Um, You know, that that goes as as well for the the different terms that he uses. Um, When you're reading the book, you don't know, you know, exactly what some of these things are that they mention. Like it's just throwing it at you. And in this, it it does something, uh, you know not exactly that similar it does a better job i think of like inundating you letting you know what this is context clues to figure things out um and as you mentioned the pacing i think works like in its favor largely um and real quick i want to say 
I don't know if I've said this anywhere else yet, but like I genuinely think hot take, I guess, coming here that this movie stands alone better as a contained narrative than like fellowship, for example, simply because and my main like thing here is Lord of the Rings is like you're trying to get rid of the ring. Like we know that's the main objective here. Um, at the end of Dune, the movie, this part one, you don't really know exactly what the objective is. Like they are, you know, they're trying to escape the Harkonnens. They're trying to to survive. Um, there's no like, oh, well, we need to take this, you know, you know, plot point and do this with it. It's kind of like, okay, well, we're just getting out of here. Um, and so when you have these these final scenes, Fellowship and Dune Part One, where they're just kind of walking off into the distance, I think there's a you with Lord of the Rings. At least people knew, okay part two is coming next year. Part three is two years from now with this. I think the open endedness of the actual sequel possibility um, makes it a little bit more challenging. But uh, as far as, as like my overall thoughts on this movie, I'm really glad you liked it by the way. Um, Cause I do, you know, I respect your opinion and, and I of course want everyone to like it, but it seems like you really enjoyed it. And uh, I do, but I do understand your thoughts about like the pit, you know, kind of the pacing toward the end or maybe how it wraps up and leaves it open. Um, for me, I really was, of course, my expectations were exceedingly high. Um, and, you know, I, I would be the first one as a book reader and as, as a fan of Villeneuve, um, if I thought it was disappointing or if I thought that he, you know, sold or if I thought that it just kind of underwhelmed, I would, I would be the first one to say so. But I think as far as an adaptation, as a part one, it's basically impossible to do it any more effectively than what you get here. Um, as far as the exposition, as far as pacing things out, get, you know, introducing the audience to the characters and the world, the different planets, the names of everything. I thought that it did a really good job of just throwing you in, but also like holding your hand ever so slightly to kind of get the things across without, you know, insulting you or making you feel like, uh, well, yeah, I know what that is. The exposition I felt for the most part was fairly like reasonable, fairly, you know, natural, um, and I think it really helps when you have just one of the most absurd casts in recent memory. Um, I don't think there's a weak link in there. Uh, I think everyone could come out saying that they have a different favorite character, a different favorite performance, which is a, you know a really big uh, you know plus to the film. Um, and of course, you have the setup. And Villeneuve has said this in multiple interviews now. This, the biggest pressure of this movie was setting everything up. Um, you have the pressure of introducing the characters, introducing the different, you know, uh, references and, and, and parts of the world. And with part two, which he has discussed at, you know, to some degree now, he says it's going to be a lot more fun. It's going to be a lot more relaxing. He's, he's going to have a lot more fun making it, it seems like. Um, and I think that, you know, as well as audiences so far seem to be responding to part one, I think that really bodes well for part two, um, especially as far as potential success goes, just because, uh, you know, people are already going to know. He says that this is setting the table as a, as a metaphor, and part two is going to be like the meal of the of the thing. So if you really like this movie, if you enjoy this movie, I think you're going to just go nuts for the second one because it's not going to have that um, any sort of anti climax. I would say compared to this one. And you mentioned also planting the seeds or hinting at certain things as far as like the bigger ideas that I mentioned. Um, and I thought. Again, that's a really important thing you have to do in the beginning because otherwise people are going to be like, well, 
this is kind of typical. This is kind of cliche, as I mentioned earlier, this chosen one narrative, like where is that going? Um, but again, I really thought that they did a, a good job and Villeneuve made a point to say, this is these people, the Atreides, Paul, they're not really the good guys necessarily. They're, they're not really the heroes coming to save the day um, and, and having, you know, maybe they have the best intentions, but the best intentions can lead to, to catastrophe. So um, I really, really loved it. And as far as the ending, I think I mentioned this, I tweeted something about this, but I, I was a little bit nervous about it, uh, you know, for the reasons you mentioned and for some of the, the varied reactions I had seen to it. I think really one of the biggest criticisms of the movie that I'd seen from critics and, and people that had seen it before I did was the ending or just like, Oh, kind of, kind of ends abruptly. It's half a movie, all these other things. Um, but as I mentioned at the top, I really do think that it, it stands alone better than some other like one parters. Um, you know, if we never got the next part, <laughs> which I don't think is going to happen. Well, Paul and Jessica, they joined the Fremen and they lived happily ever after like that. That would be kind of like what you could take away from it. But, um, as a as a fan of the book, and maybe we'll get more into the spoilers or specifics of it later, but just the the way it ended with certain things tying back visually, um, the, the the way that the actors kind of played it, I just thought it was like pitch perfect. Um, especially someone who knows what's coming or has read the second book, it really just kind of lays those those lines in there for you to either pick up on or not. And if you don't pick up on it now, you'll pick up on it rewatching the movie or maybe after the second one comes out. Yeah, it's 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 interesting you mentioning the the cast because this is like a giant stacked cast and 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 I weirdly like there isn't really one performance to me that sort of stands out among any of them. This just sort of seems to be a project that like a bunch of people wanted to be involved in, and I don't really even think of it as like an actor's movie. I mean, obviously, most of the the weight of the movie falls on Timothy Chalamet, who I I thought was like solidly good i don't really like like him in 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 everything there's been stuff i've seen him in that i thought he was quite bad but i i thought he 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 sort of that character to me and and feel free to like interject but feels like more of a blank that we are sort of projecting things and expectations onto and i think chalamet is able to sort of um portray that kind of blankness and that that uncertainty of like so so what's the deal with this character i mean i think the most interesting idea that i'm curious to get explored more in a sequel is this idea of him as this like partial spoiler i guess but like genetically engineered messiah figure who was sort of like bred like a horse in order to sort of like you know win over the trust of like a native population of a planet so that like the the people who bred him can conquest them you know he he it's it's not a like whites i thought that was interesting of like what could have been like a white savior narrative is actually revealed to be something a bit more sinister that's like no you're you're not necessarily the christ figure we are we have bred you to sort of appear as one so that we can easily conquest this planet and its people. Um, and what are the potential like ramifications of that? Um, but I, 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 you know, big cast, like I said, Oscar Isaac, incredible beard. Um, just had to throw that out there. Rebecca Ferguson, um, Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, um, Charlotte Rampling, 
Zendaya, Javier Bardem. There's probably like other people. I'm Josh Brolin. I mean, it, this this doesn't strike me as necessarily like a movie of performances. And the thing that I really like about the movie is, even as someone who, unlike you, like was not even still like is maybe not fully fully invested in Dune the story and the mythology and everything like that. But this delivered, I think, a a spectacle um, that was above anything that I have seen at the movies in years and years. And I think just as a like audio visual experience, I, I mean, I, I, I could honestly care less about like the mythology and sort of like familial stakes in this as much as I do love like palace intrigue and backstabbing as someone who really was into game of thrones but just the like images of these massive spaceships on the horizon and the the sort of mounds of of sand on the planet arrakis and the 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 way the like light comes in through like the palace walls and stuff i mean this is i i really have to emphasize of this is like if if you should see if you were going to see it Try and see it on as big of a screen as possible. I went and saw it in IMAX. I I was just sort of overwhelmed by the whole thing. And even think more of the images hold more power than necessarily the story does. I mean, there there's one moment of like an army of people that while this sort of like weird robotic chant is going on i'm trying to be vague for plot reasons but i'm sure you know what i'm talking about and there's like prisoners who they're the the palace has like strung up and they're like using the blood from those prisoners to like draw symbols on the heads of the soldiers and like that is just sort of like a a simple image is so haunting and disturbing and there's just so many moments in this movie that i think convey a kind of awe and wonder and in some cases real terror and like disturbing energy to them that that's that's what i just loved about it is just i think as 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 a like i said audio visual experience it was overwhelming and above kind of so many blockbusters that I've seen in recent years, even if I'm not as invested in maybe Paul's hero's journey or whatever that turns out to be. I think this, 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 like I said, delivered a blockbuster spectacle that I think we haven't seen in, in, in many, many, many years. Absolutely. Um, there, I, I don't think anyone's terribly surprised by that, just because if you've seen Blade Runner 2049 um, or if you have paid attention to the, the marketing for this movie, if you've seen any of the trailers, you pretty much got a sense of that. Or you kind of knew what to expect, although the trailers, I mean, they don't really do it justice. Like, and I think that's one of the things with Villeneuve, as I mentioned earlier, his biggest asset or his biggest you know, strength of what he does that is at least in regards of setting him apart from other people or, or being unique is the way he constructs an atmosphere or he constructs a world. Um, and there's no, I don't care if he edited the trailers himself <laughs> or directed the trailers himself, you still wouldn't get the sense of it because watching the movie, sitting in the movie and, and watching it beginning to end, the atmosphere and the moods that he, he creates, you can't replicate really in a two and a half minute or three minute experience, just mushing everything together. Um, and it certainly, you know, it comes to the pacing as well. It comes to how he kind of 
edits the action and 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 how he uh you know constructs sequences um that feel like action sequences even if there's no violence or anything like that at all um so yeah it's uh it's you know you mentioned as far as audio visual yes i think people who are going to see this as you know you said yourself i'm not necessarily as attached or as in you know invested in the story or maybe the characters or, or what's going on with that um I think still people, they feel similarly to you. They'll watch this and they'll be like, I, I can't wait to watch another one of those simply because I want to be in that world again, or I want to see that that world. I want to see those designs and that scale. Um, just because it is not like anything else, at least in recent years, it's very hard to like think of comparisons. I mean, Lord of the Rings is the one that's been made the most, I think kind of feels like it makes sense. 2001 is another one where as far as like the scale and the ships and the, the, that, the weight that they have to them. Yeah. I think the two most recent ones that I thought of, I mean, the, the Blade Runner sequel that you, you mentioned, or even, um, I don't necessarily like really like this movie all that much, but in terms of the way Villeneuve is using scale in this movie and the sort of like enormity of the visuals, um, you know, a very pop comparison from uh, several years back is like, rogue one um the the star wars movie which i i thought was like one of the even though not one of my favorite of those movies i thought like was probably the best shot of any of them and in terms of you know giving you this enormity and big screen spectacle um and and i also just think you know he is willing to kind of hold on an image and let the images breathe and let you take in the enormity of it in a way that not too many blockbusters can. And I think that that is able to sort of like give you that elevated experience a little bit more and, and just sort of like, like I said, take in the breadth of everything that is being put together in front of you. Um, I guess the last thing I'll mention just on like a technical side, this, I'm going to use a little bit of hyperbole. Th this might be the best special effects i've ever seen in a movie i mean that full stop the the best just the integration of cgi practical effects sets locations it 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 is all so seamless and i think that's something that e even people i've talked to who have not liked this movie have been like this should win every single technical oscar out there and it is just pretty like mind-blowing how seamless it all is and a whole all how tangible and real it all looks um on screen right no i don't think that's hyperbole i mean you're not the first person i've heard say that so um it, it, you said it well uh i'm not really going to add anything to that greg fraser of course also shot rogue one so there's certainly i i would imagine villeneuve saw that and was like damn that guy he knows what i want to do so that you know is certainly an asset greg fraser i've i've been singing his praises um and he, he noticed it and quoted one of my tweets recently, which was funny. Um, but he, yeah, he's fantastic in this. And just as you mentioned, all the technical merits are above like and beyond anything. Um, and, you know, I'm going to remind you of this, Jesse. <laughs> I think it was January 2020. I said, you know, Dune's probably I, I don't see a world where Dune gets less than 10 Oscar nominations. And I was like, and, and, and you said, hey, what if it's just bad? <laughs> or what if it's just not good 
I'm pretty sure. I stand by that as someone who is not always <laughs> on the like we talked about prisoners earlier, and I'm always like the one person in the room that's like, "Yo, prisoners is low key not that good." But so I, I stand by as someone who I'm. I'm glad I was I got that bookmark. But somewhere. I stand by my response as someone who is like, I don't know. This seems like a hard book to adapt. Uh, respect, respect. I just thought I'm. Pre- I'm pretty sure I have that bookmark somewhere. I'll have to pull that out and and just air you All out. Good fun. good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's because I, I think I I, re- I replied. And to your point, prisoners. Every single person involved with that movie that I've heard like give an interview on it or say something about it said they that they weren't in love with the script, but they the only reason they trusted it and wanted to do it was because Villeneuve was doing it. Mm-hmm. They're like he can probably elevate this and make it something better which i certainly think it is better than the script uh would would lead you to believe um but yeah uh the technical side of this uh, you know did not surprise me necessarily like i've been literally saying this for two years um you know this is probably gonna have the most oscar nominations and it probably still is i don't really see a world where uh you know people all along i think the last year or so the last two years almost that i've been talking about this have been highly skeptical of its uh you know as far as award season and Really, I mean, not just awards, but like it's financial potential. It's, you know, uh, you know, Oscar potential. And I think, you know, I, I uh, have been the one saying, you know, this, this is going to happen. Like just like given <laughs> like face the facts. Um, and now that it's out, it's like, yeah, can't really deny that. Um, and Villeneuve is, uh, you know, proving I, I, the what he does. Because you talk about all the different technical things individually. And we talk about the performances and the cast. Um, it is just a, a, a crazy amount of um, things that he has to balance and, uh, you know, the different people he's collaborating with and and the team he's kind of assembled. Um, you know, a lot of people that he's worked with before, like on 2049, for example, um, but also some people, you know, Greg Frazier, this is his first time working with Greg Frazier. Um, and you wouldn't really know it. I mean, it, I think that this is easily especially the way that Greg has been playing with light recently has been very, you know, kind of reminiscent of, of Deacons to some extent. Um, and it just, it really seems like no matter what he's kind of who he's working with, I think enemy even to some degree, I mean, that kind of looks like a Deacons movie to me in some regards. And that was before he even worked with Deacons on, on prisoners. So he's definitely one of those, I've said this before that he's one of those directors where I feel, you know, he himself has said, if I could, if I had to edit my movies, I could like that. That's something I could do, but I would rather collaborate and work with someone who's a lot more talented than I am in that department. Um, and I think, you know, similarly to like a Curon or, or PTA, I mean, he could probably be the cinematographer on one, on a movie because he has that understanding of the visual language. And you mentioned the, the, uh, the shot kind of the shot duration um, is something that I think I especially noticed in this movie watching it. I've seen it three times now. And the, the second and third times I watched, I was like, wow, this is really like, because I'm sitting there in IMAX with hundreds of other people because these both all these showings are like borderline sold out. And I'm just thinking like, this is so different from like an Avengers movie <laughs> or a Star Wars movie. Like it just the energy and and the, the craft is just so like not even close to anything else. I mean, the closest thing I can think of as far as being in the theater and watching it in the last few years be like a 2049 or like a, a fury road you know what i mean yeah i mean i i went and saw it with uh, a mutual friend of ours and um it, the two previews that came like right before it were the the new batman movie and the matrix movie and he he remarked he didn't really enjoy 
Dune as much, but he he did like remark like as soon as we were leaving, he's like he pointed to like the collaboration of those two th- those three things is just like there's kind of no excuse for your blockbuster to not look like it cost like as much as it did <laughs> and I'm just sort of like your your blockbuster should not work look like a parking lot and um i i think like th- that is part of i think like why i enjoyed the experience of watching this so much is is seeing seeing a big intergalactic blockbuster that it's like that looks as much as what you you allegedly say it cost and <laughs> like money well spent everyone <laughs> Um, and you you mentioned this earlier um, before we move on. Uh, you were talking about oh the VFX being so good and the the sh- the scenes and the sets and and how they kind of extend. It really is one of those movies where you're, you're like, how did they do that? <laughs> like, there's no set that you see that looks like a set, and you know that they must have these kind of like extensions with CG. Um, and they're combining practical. And, and there was this funny interview that dropped a few days before the movie came out with Guillermo del Toro. And there's this quote that people were like kind of laughing at. It's like, you know, how did, how did you shoot that with the worm? And he's like, he's like, the Villeneuve's like the worm. He's like, yeah, the mouth. Like, how did you shoot that? And he's like, he was like, well, frankly, it, it was all, you know, visual effects. And Guillermo's like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> because yeah, the mouth, I mean, the worms, I mean, come on. Like, they feel so tangible. And there's one one scene in particular, the last appearance of the worm in the movie where full on you see the face, you see the maw of this giant dinosaur like creature. And it I mean, it, it feels like you could just grab one of its teeth in like a in like a tree trunk um, and the, the scales on the side of it, the texture um, and the, the dimensions to it um, and the sand. I mean, it's like such a simple thing. You, it, the fact that, that it would even come to my mind is kind of funny, but like the visual effects for the sand, <laughs> like it reminds, I mean, I remember in 2007 sitting there watching Spider-Man three and thinking, wow, like that's that Sandman creation sequence is like astonishing. Um, here, there's nothing to that degree of detail, but like the dunes exploding and the, the, the sand moving like water in the ocean. Um, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's some of the best VFX, as you said, um, you'll, you'll probably ever see. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, something else that even thinking about this as an audio visual experience, and I, I think you kind of hinted at earlier, a lot of different subtextual reads you could have into Dune. And I think the movie is sort of able to convey all of that, but just through its images. Um, you know, I've, I've seen so many people in reviews and on Twitter kind of mentioned, you know, when uh, the Atreides family kind of first arrives on Arrakis and they're in that, that airfield and they're going through the, the palace and stuff. I mean, it's, it's hard not to kind of think of the U S invading Iraq during those sequences. And it's, it's, it because this sort of idea of sort of like more wealthy countries or in this case planets sort of like invading poorer ones and sort of to have control over resources i mean that's something that has happened throughout the decades it's timeless but it there there is something that sort of amazed me about how um how much sort of the simplicity and how much of the kind of subtextual read you could have into this story is just conv- like, I, I would love to just sort of, and maybe I'll do this now that it's on HBO max, just sort of like watch this without the sound. I mean, that sounds blasphemous to one degree. Cause I, 
the the Hans Zimmer score is quite good, and I think the the sound design in this movie is is really overwhelming as well. But to just sort of watch it as a, a silent movie, I think you could gleam a lot from the these these kind of impeccably constructed images and stuff. Um, before we wrap up, I definitely want to get your thoughts as uh, as far as like where we go from here. Um, I guess I will give a, a a spoiler warning for anyone who has not watched the movie or has not read the books or has not seen the David Lynch version. Come back, because um, we got to talk about what happens in this movie. All right, I gave you a brief pro- pause. Um, so basically, what happens is we learn that the emperor is um correct me if i'm wrong sort of jealous of house atreides um because they have more just more popular in in the galaxy and sort of has constructed this all as this giant kind of trap so the atreides come in they take over the planet of arrakis aka dune and then the harkonnens come back basically murder all of the atreides except for uh, our lead character, Paul, played by Timothy Chalamet, and his mother, played by Rebecca Ferguson. They escape out into the desert and join the sort of native people of Arrakis. Um, we also learn that, that, as I hinted at earlier, Paul has been sort of bred to be this messiah figure, um, and his mother is part of this coven of witches called the the Bene Gesserit. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. Um, where do we go from here? Because obviously that I should back up. The in fact, his mother is a witch means he has these kind of like psychic powers. Um, so where where do we go from here as far as in the story? Now that this this in Game of Thrones fashion, this whole family of essentially the good guy characters has essentially kind of been wiped out, and the care our lead sort of cast out into the sands, quite literally. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot to uh, unpack and, and kind of speculate on there. I've read the entire book, of course, um, so I know exactly what's going down in part two, you know, barring any changes that are made. And then I've also read the second book as well, which I I pray gets made into a film because really to me, the second book in the series is like a, like a coda, like a, a necessary reading of the first book. Um, and it really kind of delves into everything that he is setting up here. And really a lot of my favorite scenes in this movie make a point to like 15 scenes probably that I could say are my favorite, but the ones that really like struck me and really got like under my skin were the scenes where it's talking about the larger plan here, the larger sense uh, of what is happening to Paul, what is going to happen to Paul. There's a scene early on after um, you know, Charlotte Rampling's character leaves and Lady J- <laughs> one of my favorite shots in the movie. It was I just thought it was like amazing. It's so simple, though, when Lady Jessica, she turns around and she looks out and she sees Paul standing behind her, like in the mist. And he just looks so sinister <laughs> and like villainous. Um, and uh, and, the, and she kind of explains this eugenics um, plan that is is ongoing. Um, and then there was a tent scene later on in the film where, which is again, one of my favorite scenes, it's straight out of the book where he's having these visions, um, of the, of possible futures. And, uh, he is just freaking out (laughs) about what is going on. Um, and then of course the ending, the last, I, I swear, of course, to anyone who hasn't read the book or just a straight up surface level reading, like 
the ending of this movie seems and like the music is swelling and it's all like it seems very like happy or like yay like on to the next adventure like you know this is you know they've kind of joined up with them and uh but I, it's like really the most sinister <laughs> dark uh ending of like any major blockbuster i can think of because like the smile on paul's face and like the grim expression on jessica's face like it's all kind of leading up to this this as you mentioned this plan of these people being set up the bene Gesserit, you know plotting and planting these seeds on these planets and on on arrakis with the fremen um and paul paul's like he has decisions to make um and he's making those decisions you know for what reason and like, what is his end goal what is, what's his objective um, throughout the movie, there are there are hints at Paul being better than even his father, or being being better with regards to how he perceives the Fremen, how he perceives his relationship to them, uh, and their relationship, the Fremen relationship to uh, the planet, as well as you know the Emperor and the and the the families that they send to Arrakis to take care of it. Um, and you mentioned you know the Emperor is getting upset about the Atreides. Uh, kind of like you know getting favor over him um this is really like a <laughs> it's like a cia <laughs> special operations um like assassination kind of like destruction plot here when 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 a a political regime gets too much power they're just going to send in you know the the troops to clean it up um it, it's very very interesting i'm so i mentioned this at the top of the show i can't wait to see what people think of where this story goes because it is so far there are hints and, and seeds planted and it, it, i feel like a lot of people they could easily kind of gloss over it um to me i felt it was very you know it was pretty explicit about what is going on with paul um but it's going to be much more explicit later on um and there's not going to really be any um you know uh, am ambiguity about where he stands and what his decisions are actually leading to uh and I think the second one, as far as part two specifically, what people can expect, I think Villeneuve said it himself, there's going to be a lot more action. It's going to be a lot less talking, as he said, a lot less explaining things. He has done the groundwork. He's laid the foundation. He doesn't need to come and explain who the Bene Gesserit are. He doesn't need to come and explain what a what a shield is or, or, or what a, uh, you know, what a still suit is. Um, we just get to understand all that now. It's going to be a lot more, uh, you know, I think he is going to do, um, you know, his kind of, this is going to be as blockbustery as blockbuster can get for Villeneuve, I think. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot more fun with regards to the Fremen, because I think people really, at least in the showings I've been, they seem really interested in the Fremen, like kind of like what their role is. Javier Bardem completely steals the scenes that he's in um, and gets a lot of, uh, got some laughs. And uh, Chani and Zendaya, of course, Zendaya is a huge movie star. And uh, she is going to be at the forefront of part two, without question. I mean, she's going to be a major, major character there. And I think that's going to you know, please a lot of people. Um, it, it's just going to be, and also, you know, to, to, you know, emphasize it again, all these seeds that have been planted about the grander themes and the, the greater meaning of this story are going to be, be, you know if they're not completely wrapped up or if fully explained in part two they're going to be heavily emphasized more emphasized there's going to be a lot um a lot clearer uh on that that point um and i think it, it's 
it, I'm really excited for it. I can already tell, and I, I've said this online as well, like I think people who love this movie as, you know, as I do, or to varying degrees, I think they're going to like the second part twice as much potentially just because it is going to be a lot, you know, uh, less heavy on the exposition and a lot less um, kind of setting things up. I mean, in this movie, there's a lot of action in part one, um, but a lot of it is talking. A lot of it is explaining things. A lot of it is, okay, we're here on Arrakis. Okay, now we have to deal with this kind of political aspect of it. Now we have to deal with this, um, you know, administrative task that we have to do over here. There's going to be none of that in part two. It's going to be full on kind of, you know, warfare and and, and setting things up. So I'm really excited. Um, who knows how far away that is? Hopefully part two gets greenlit in the next, you know, few weeks or, or days. Um, and then I think Villeneuve said he's, he himself is ready to go. They could be filming this next summer or next fall. So, um, you know, a couple, two or three years, I would, I would presume, but, uh, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm glad it's I'm glad it's getting the reception it is so far. As a fan, of course, um, I, I totally respect everyone who doesn't like it or thinks it sucks <laughs> or isn't interesting. Um, but I, I you know I think that it deserves to you know make its money and and have some you know new fans. And it seems like at least a good amount of people are kind of responding to it and uh, will read the book maybe or, or watch a show if they end up making something like that on HBO. And of course, they're going to check out part two you know when it comes out. Well, Johnny, thank you again for for stopping by this week to to help explain the Duneverse for us. Um, we'll definitely have to have you back on a future episode in the coming weeks. Um, next week it's 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 Halloween, so we're going to talk about a new horror movie, probably uh, Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's new movie, uh, as well as I'm sure I will have some, some dispatches of my own from the film festival I'm attending right now. Um, so look forward to that in the coming weeks on the latest.